going to go into a new teaching called Give It Time. I would encourage you today is nothing but an introduction, and then we're going to dig it out deep that will try to help you in your faith walk with Jesus Christ. There's a scripture of mine I want to take you to, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It is my life scripture. It's what I've lived by. It's what I've tattooed on my arm. God help me. And uh, it has been very meaningful to me. And I want to share it with you today on how do we Christians handle this thing called time. What do people, Ecclesiastes 3.9, really get from all of their hard work? I've seen the burden God has placed on all of us, yet God may, come on now, in the blue, everything beautiful for its own time. He placed eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Here's my thought. My thought is God, seemingly unfair as it is, has bound us all to time. And time is one of the greatest burdens a human will ever encounter. I think time, if we really are honest, is one of the greatest burdens you will ever be given. Here's a graphic you'll see a lot. I think inside the brackets of your life, we call it time. It makes or breaks the kind of person you will become. All of us have been given a length of it. The common denominator of all of us is none of us got to choose our beginning. Nobody asked you about it. Nobody consulted you and said, hey, I'm thinking about having you live in 2022. Nobody asked if you wanted to come through a rape or a molestation or if you wanted to be given up for adoption. Nobody. You came to planet Earth with zero input. No opinion as if nobody cared and you were dished a hand of cards. You can blame that on God. You can blame it on whoever. But you got here. If you want to act like God put you in the middle of the hell and brought you here. But what we all know is we all came. Nobody got an opinion. If you got a good family, good for you. If you got a bad one, we feel sorry for you. If you've had a rough go of humanity, welcome to humanity. But one thing we know about time is we've all been given a length of it. And once we're in it, what we do with it will make or break the kind of people we become. And to say that environment creates us is to overlook the actuality of what's going on. It is time and how we handle it that determines the kind of people we will be. I would imagine in the room right now, all of us have had a burden of time. There's projects you said you would start that you never finished. My dad told me years ago, he said, son, one thing I've learned, it's easy to start something and most people don't know how to finish well. I was trying to drop out of college because I'd started college and my first semester in, I realized I hated it and it's not for me. So I went to my dad and said, I hate college. College is not for me. And my dad, in the kindest way a father could give me wisdom, said, well, that's good, but whatever you start, you should always finish. I'm like, my God, I'm first semester in. But what he taught me is if you're not careful, if you start and you never finish the time frame of it, you never get to the end, you will establish habits of every time something is hard, you will quit. You will give up on your marriage. You will give up on your job ideas. You will give up on your work. You will give up on your friends. You'll give up on church because life has a way of hurting us all. Life has a way that when we're born in it, we hit difficulties. 
It doesn't all go well for us. We don't always get a rosy ride. Sometimes we can have terrible families that abuse us and do us wrong, work for people that abuse us and do us wrong. We earn scars in the middle of the time. We have stories and testimonies. We have things that we love and things that we hate, but welcome to time. It seems unfair, but you're all given the same amount. You say, how am I given the same amount? Everybody gets a 24-hour time frame to do something. You can waste it. You can whine about it. You can cry about it. And after you're done posting and making TikTok videos, it clicks over again with a brand new sunrise and you get another opportunity. And you can either do something with it or you can waste it. Now, you didn't get an opportunity to pick day one. But everything from now on to the future of the other side of the parenthesis, when you die, you very much have an opportunity to make something of yourself. We read books, but we never finish them. We have ideas. I think I'm going to do this, but we never really do it. Something always hits us. Something always discourages us. And this is time. So understand how you manage this block of 24 hours in your life. You can blame it on white people, black people, Republican people, Hispanic people, border control, climate control, Democrats, Republicans, Trump's fault. No, it's Biden's fault. You can blame it all day long. And at the end, whatever you wear, whatever you identify with, you wake up with the same 24 hours that everybody else wakes up with. And you can make or break it. You can become a jerk. You can become somebody incredible. You can change the world. You can become a Angelo. You can become a president. You can become a, a, a prisoner. All off how you manage this. Now here's the issue. Here comes the issue that I think is really at hand. It's not really how you manage time. It's how do I as a temporal being connect to the eternal God? There's enough YouTube videos out there to help you manage time. You can time management, you can take courses, you can hire life coaches, you can hire friends to meet you at the gym. You didn't get fat overnight. It took time. You won't get skinny overnight. It will take time. Time is the thing that hits us all. But the question when we roll it in is that I've been stuck in a framework of time, but I'm told to worship an eternal God. So this becomes the issue now. The issue now is I have found and discovered that humans consistently judge God in the box of time. It's how we know God. We know God within the parenthesis. We, we judge Him inside that boundary of time. Here's what it looks like if we play it out again. This is how most people discover God. They discover God by defining Him in their temporal experiences. It's why we can have a room full of 180 people and have a hundred and different ideas of the eternal God. Because we define Him within our box of time. My experiences with Him. How He's met prayers for me or not. I define Him based upon my window of time on earth. I've been molested, therefore God is. My husband left me, therefore God is. They told me he was a healer, but I'm still sick, therefore God is. My mother died, therefore God is. I judge God and His godness in the box of time. 
That, that can be good, but if we're not careful, it becomes shallow because we dumb God down to human understanding. And we end up with 180 different gods of who he is to you. Someone told me in the first service, and I, I, just to show you how powerful this is, their young child died. All right, so they lost a young child. And the, the way it was defined to them, rather than sometimes life hits us and we don't know why and it can hurt, the way they tried to define it was your mother and your grandparents. The grandparents were in eternity with Jesus. They were missing family. So God killed the kid so that the kid could be with grandmom and granddad and they could have somebody up there to enjoy. Now, I have no problem with people because, you know, when we're hurt, we say weird things. But do you understand the power of trying to define why would a God that you tell me is good let a baby die? And so I pull God into my experience and say, well, I guess grandmom and granddad wanted the little baby, so God killed the baby. So you understand how powerful this is. So you let somebody get molested, and then they say, well, where's God? And they pull God into their box and go, well, at 12, I got molested, so therefore it scrambles who God is to me. So I can't even identify with him outside of my framework of time. In other words, he's, here's what's weird. He's only validated by my experiences from birth to death. And if he doesn't fit within my experiences, then his validation is he might not be real or as powerful as people say they are or he doesn't love me at all. So this has puzzled me for years. I myself have had to define God in my box of pain. Our experiences, people we have to bury, problems that hit us, struggles we face. But here's, here's my thinking. I, Mark, and this is hard. I, I, I wish I could say I got there pretty quickly. I did not. I still kind of have to pull myself to this. I have to learn to see his beauty beyond my scope of time. Now what I mean by that is I have to be careful not to validate God within the scope of my birth and my death. If God is only validated by my experiences, I would question if He really is God. He has to hold a validity beyond me to be eternal. Does that make sense? So here's what I drew. Again, if you'd like to hire me, you're more than welcome. These are incredible. God tells me that there's a beauty out there but my problem is when I try to define his beauty in the scope of my own life. If I only define how grand God is, how beautiful he is, the beauty of him, in the scope of Mark, I could have a very terrible, um, what's the word I would look for, a, a, a very terrible understanding of who he really is. And I can write books about it. And I can tell other people about it. Because what I try to do is explain the eternal God through my own validity. I'm not saying that's bad. 
I'm saying it can be weak at best because we miss his beauty for our pain. Now here's, I don't mean this casual, I mean it very intentional. In the middle of pain right now, there's something beautiful trying to happen. It doesn't feel like it, I know. Been there, done that. It doesn't, in the hurt, it doesn't feel like something beautiful is happening. So as I'm trying to work this out with me, and I'm trying to find beauty in the scope of my day, and my day or my week or my month or my year didn't go well, and I'm trying to understand God, and I'm bringing God into my parenthesis, I'm, I, His eternal nature, and I'm bringing Him down into me to understand Him, if I'm not careful, I will shallow God into my own understanding, and I will create a very weak God that exists to serve me rather than me existing to serve Him. All right? Now, here's what I've worked out in this. Here's the scripture again, except I've highlighted the two bottom lines. Yet God has made everything beautiful in the blue for its own time, pink. He's planted eternity into the human heart. Everybody in here has an eternity planted in your heart. But, there's a but and a comma. But even so, in the red, that's me and you, people. People cannot see what? The whole scope of his work. So now it's telling me the way, the way beauty is known is not birth to death and then try to find God's beauty in the middle of your hell. Because there are some people that are born into a hellacious world and live a hellacious life and die a hellacious death that would never say God is beautiful. But what God tells me is you don't know my beauty from your scope of your own work The beauty that I want you to see is something people cannot see, and it's the scope of my work. And it's not my work from April 23rd, 1965 to April 23rd, 2065 when I pass. It's the scope of his work from beginning of time to the end of time. In other words, I have to look at the scope of his work before I was ever born and the scope of his work that will still be going when I die. This is a very humbling thing. But when you die, life keeps going. We will cry. We will have an obituary. We'll lie about you at your funeral if you need to. But we'll talk about you when we're gone. We'll tell the truth about you. We may have to lie at the funeral, but when it's all over, here's what I know. All we work for, all we strive for, all we wish for, other people get it. Other people marry your spouse and life keeps going. Because if I only judge life in the scope of my work, it is a a miserable, misery way to live. I will get very frustrated. But God says, view it in the scope of my work. Now here's what it looks like, the graphic. The graphic is now, beauty is not defined within the reason of my life and death and the scope of my week and month and years. Beauty is defined by looking at the scope of His work. He's always working. And I have to get outside of me, and that's why I said it was a struggle. I'm not acting like it's easy. I'm simply trying to say, how does a temporal being tap into an eternal God and stay faithful in the, in the parenthesis when I feel like my parenthesis is a chaos? How do I see the beauty when I'm burying a loved one? How do I see the beauty when they're pushing the 
divorce papers across the desk. How do I see the beauty when I'm burying a kid and they're telling me grandmom and granddaddy wanted it and so God took it? How do I see the beauty when they fire me? How do I see the beauty when my uncle is molesting me? How do you want me to see? And and that's the point. I, I never ask people to see the beauty inside the parenthesis. The parenthesis sucks sometimes. And sometimes the parenthesis is not fair. Sometimes you do get a raw hand dealt to you. We live in a fallen world that will have to be redeemed one day. But until that day, the middle of your parenthesis is almost a crapshoot. Because nobody asks you to be born to the family. You just got sucked into it. And they may be crazy people, but you got birthed into craziness. They may be religious people, bitter people. Who knows what they could be? All over the planet right now, babies are popping out of a mother's vagina, uterus, to be born into some world that is broken into the middle of poverty and no food and hunger and all kind of things and diseases. They don't have nice buildings. They're just going to be birthed on a street somewhere. Flies all around them, disease everywhere. And then we look and go, now this is beautiful. And I'm like, that's not beautiful. That's a sign of broken world. That's a broken world that had to be redeemed. But I can say without fail, if I can learn to see outside my parenthesis, I can see beauty. I can find beauty in the midst of the pain if I look outside my pain for a minute. When the doctor says, your wife has breast cancer, and I pull God into my parenthesis, I thought you were a good God. I thought you were a God that healed. I thought you were a God that if I served you, everything would go well. And I'm pulling God into my parenthesis trying to make sense of him. And God's like, Mark, Mark, stop pulling me into your experiences. I'm trying to pull you up into me. So I go, okay, God, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I thought would happen in my parenthesis. But in the middle of my parenthesis, when the storm is brewing, you want me to see the scope of the whole thing. So God, let me see your beauty outside my experiences. It doesn't mean I'm faking it. It doesn't mean that I'm ignoring it. I'm not trying to say you live with your head in the clouds and don't realize there's a you between the yellow parenthesis. I'm just simply saying that what I read in Scripture, the yellow parenthesis, no matter how hellacious it is, does not define your life. And it may be a bad life in the parenthesis, but there's something there. What was Eliana singing? There's an inward washing. Again, it preaches easy. It's hard to live. It is hard to live. And I act like it's easy to live. It's why the Bible will say, fix your eyes on the unseen, on the things that cannot be seen. Focus your eyes on heaven. It's why Jesus said, pray heaven come to earth. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. He knew the parenthesis would be a struggle. He even said in this life, parenthesis, you will have trouble. But be of good courage. Look up at the scope of my work. I have overcome. Now, here's what's weird. That means some humans may die a terrible life in the parenthesis. But it doesn't mean they missed his beauty. Come on. 
It's why the person can be on the mission field and they're about to chop his head off and he's like, this is the best life I've ever lived. I'm like, what in God's name are you talking about? Because the beauty of what he's seeing or she's seeing is not in the parenthesis of what's going on around me, but what is happening in me. And if you could come, I say that like I'm throwing stones. I don't mean it. If we, if we could become understanding what is eternally happening around us at any moment, I think we could see the beauty better than the pain. And I would be very amiss if I told you if you serve Jesus, your yellow parenthesis will go well. Because for those it doesn't go well, Mark's lying, or I either have to throw back, you just don't have enough faith. And then we argue. But if I tell you I got no control over your parenthesis, but God is calling you outside of it to tap into something, so that no matter what the parenthesis says about you, you're an overcomer. You are an overcomer. Well, I had to bury him. Well, you're an overcomer. Well, the doctor said I'm sick. You're an overcomer. Right? Now, it's not because I'm faking it. I'm learning to look out of me at the scope of him. Now, one thing I can say, I don't always know Mark. I try. But if I look outside the scope of Mark, it makes me go, why have people served him for 2,000 years? If it's not valid, weak, and anemic religion, how could it still be here? Because we've killed for it. I mean, it's weird. I'm not getting into all that. But, but it does make me realize that Bluetooth is trying to pair. <laughs> God's probably asking me, do you want to pair with me, Mark, or not? <laughs> all right, let me jump into it so I don't bore you. Here we go. Give me the next one if it's working. Yeah, okay. I want to teach you three things. It'll be quick. I want to teach you the best way I've worked out how to find God's beauty in the middle of my parenthesis. Here was number one. I'm a Genesis guy. I go back to day one. In the what? That's the scope of time. You remember God said you need to know me in the scope of my work, not your work, my work. So day one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before a human messed it up, before anybody came along, before your uncle ever did anything, your aunt, before you got fired, before you got sick, before you were born to a terrible home, before your children said they hated you, before your husband left you, whatever it is, before there was a human, green words, formless, empty, and dark. And what I began to learn about Mark is that it's easier in my parenthesis to see the darkness than the beauty. Because in the middle, here's what's weird, in the middle of the formless, empty, dark, God is hovering. He's hovering. He's there. And one thing I've noticed in my parenthesis is when it gets dark, I feel like he doesn't care. I wonder where he was at. If he's here, why did he let him die? If he's here and bore me, then why did this happen to me? One thing I know, not about humans, about creation, is that if we're not careful, the intention 
is to always miss the light of God in the equation because of the darkness that's screaming. Formless. I don't feel like it works. Empty. God doesn't even care about me. I'm giving and nothing's happening. I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible. Nothing, nothing and nothing. I went up to have the elders pray for me. Nothing happened. I asked God to heal my husband. Nothing. I asked him to spare my marriage. Nothing. Darkness, formless, emptiness. Every prayer is connected to the emptiness and the dark and the formless. I need God to come and bring meaning to this. I need him to show up. I need him to heal me. I need him to fix me. I need him to fix this. I need him to do this. God, because there's time. Here's a weird thing. There's time stamps on almost every prayer. Matter of fact, the reason we pray it is we have a time stamp. I need a new job. I need you when? By Tuesday. There's the time stamp. I need God to heal this headache. When? Now. There's the time stamp. But in the very beginning of time, in the middle of darkness, there was God. Hovering, waiting, light, marking the first day. This is my Genesis teaching. Dig it out deeper. Marking the first day. Every day of creation, God takes us from chaos to clarity. Evening to morning. Evening is obscurity and dark. Clarity is the sunrise in the morning. The way God works is always obscurity to clarity. But I have found in the parenthesis when life gets obscure, I focus on it, I Google it, I meditate on it, I identify with it, I dwell on it, and I wonder where God is because I'm not looking for his clarity. I'm mad he's not doing it. I'm mad he's not there. Here's what I wrote down for the first one. It's simple. In the middle of your parenthesis, you better settle one thing. He's good. And the moment you think he's not because your parenthesis have said he's not, you're in a hellacious road. If his goodness is based on my parenthesis, we're in a mess. He's not good because the boundaries of your life say he's good. He's good because the scope of his whole work says he's good. So I, in any problem I face in my parenthesis, I got to shake myself and go, all right. I'm a little ticked right now that he's not answering this prayer or he let this happen to me or this sucked the wind out of me or the carpet got jerked out from under me. I can't believe if he's God, this even happened to me. And all of a sudden, I feel the tension rising. Where was he in my parenthesis? I didn't see him. Mark has to shake himself and go, oh, oh, no. Oh, no. He is good. And all the time he is good, good father to you are. Right? I define his goodness off of his eternal being, not off of my temporal being. Now, I know that might be a play on words. I'm telling you, it really does help. Because in the middle of hell, I'm like, I just don't even think God cares. Shut up, Mark. He cares because he's good. And he's always good. And he will be good from beginning to end. And when I stand and look him in the eye, I will go, you were good. But if I look at yesterday and I look at right now, I'll be like, I don't even feel like God's good. He's good to everybody else but not me. He let me get fired. I can't believe he fired me. You ready to have your mind blown? You know why I'm here today? I fell apart. I would not even be on this corner had my life not fallen apart because I was going a different way. Phil Anderson that stood here 
and told you that he was going to go find the tree that met Uni who said he's a tree that met a demon that said you don't need to be here? Do you know how I met Phil? I fell apart. And in my falling apart, God directed my life in the middle of my mess. He's working his goodness. I bump into Phil and God's like, now I've got him connected to Phil who's going to connect to uni in 12 years from now and I'm working. You see, it's when you're falling apart, you don't want to get out of bed and go to the church. You're hurting. You don't want to get out of bed and go, I I drove, me and Robin drove an hour every single day to go to this church. I don't want to drive an hour. Some of you struggling to get here from Temple. I don't even want to go an hour. It's an hour. But because I was willing to know the scope of his work, I was willing to suck it up, drive an hour, and go to a church where I didn't even feel like I belonged. But every time I sat in the chair, I'm like, come on, God. Whatever you're doing, do it. I'm here. I'm ready for you to work. And a lot of Christians are sitting at home between their two little brackets, pouting, posting about how hard it is, life's so difficult, don't even know where God is, his people, his church. (laughs) I started GoFundMe, me and God, because I can't stand him, right? I mean, just, ah, it's not like we don't hurt. We all hurt. It's not like I don't care. I do care. I have my own hurts and struggles. I love us all. I like you when you're broken. I like you when you're good. But don't you think God just ultimately goes, dear Lord, stop defining my goodness in the middle of your mess. Look at me, Mark. I'm good. But it doesn't feel good because you're looking at the parenthesis. Look up. Your eyes heavenward. Focus on the things that are unseen and not seen. And now worship me. I'm like, all right, God. It's weird. Once you train yourself. Look for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Get about your worries and your strife. I mean the bare necessities. It's why a bear can rest at ease. Just the bare necessities of life. Then I get over to think, oh, this calls for some real scratching. (laughs) Wherever I wander, wherever I roam. I mean, right, like I I can, I'm more excited about Disney than God. You're over there listening to, listening to Beyonce, trying to find a song to identify with in the middle of your pain. In the shallow, shallow. Get over it. You're not going to find hope in a playlist. You're going to have to get up to the beauty of God and go, man, let me see something beyond this world. I need to reel that back in. All right. Next one. So God placed the man, Adam, in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, and the Lord warned him. You can freely eat of any tree of the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, simple, got it, understand it, you'll die. Got no clue what you're talking about. This is weird. God tells the man something's going to happen to him, but he has no way to know what that is. No one has ever seen death or experienced death, and God throws it out there. He says, you eat, you'll die. I get eating. What do you think he means by die? I don't know. What do you... 
I don't know what he means. What do you, why do you think he said it? It would be no different than me saying, now, when you walk out that door today, warn you. As soon as you go down the steps, you may bump into sticky like a poopy. You're like, what did he just say? He said we would bump into sneaker like a poopy. What do you think he means by that? I don't know what he means. It's weird. He's probably smoking dope something. Like, think about it. We read looking back. We have a concept of the word death. The man God told it to has no way to even know what the word means. He simply has to trust God must know what he's talking about. What tells me God is not obligated to explain it all to you. And if you're saying, I can't figure this out, maybe you're not supposed to. What do you think Adam had a belly button? God didn't tell you because he didn't want you to know. So what I have to know is I'm trying to live this way is that God is not obligated to explain it all to me. He needs me to trust him. If God told you everything in your parenthesis, your mind would blow up. If he said, now 28 years from now, you're going to be married to a new woman. Better not tell my wife that now. (laughs) You just told me I was going to be married to a new woman. All right, is she going to leave me or am I going to leave? She's cheating. I knew it. I knew she's cheating. She's cheating. I know she's cheating. Or is she going to die? Oh, God, she's going to die. You think she's going to die? Well, she's going to die. Oh, God, am I going to cheat? No, I would never. Right? Like if God told you 28 years from now, you're going to be married to it, you would, you would be Googling. What a God Almighty. He's not going to tell you everything. He's not going to tell you where you're going to live 20 years from now. You would try to get a U-Haul and go tomorrow. Like I really see you living in West Palm. Yes, let's go now. So what it tells me about my time frame is God's not obligated to tell me everything. He's just obligated to download whatever I need. But watch how weird. Next verse. Adam was 130 when he had Seth. So it's 130 years after he died, but he didn't die. He has another 800 years to figure out what death is. Still doesn't know. 930 years later, he dies and God's like, yes, I knew I was telling the truth. Like God's never struggled. So sometimes God has plans for you that don't make sense right now, but it doesn't mean he's not working. It took 930 years for God to work out, if you eat, you die. And I think a lot of us want God's plan to work out today. That's what I think. I think we want his plan to work out right now. And it's probably not. I'm 57 and I look back and go, my God, I preached that one time? That was stupid. How could I say that? You ever notice the older you get and you look back, you realize how dumb you were? I mean, in the moment, you 20-year-olds feel brilliant. You're not. You're all stupid. You think you're brilliant, and you're supposed to. It's what makes life good. But when you hit 86, my dad's looking at all of you going, oh, they're just stupid. (laughs) Right? Because when you get old, you're like, oh, if I only knew and understood, that's what God's trying to get you to do. 
So I, I, I put this for number two. Here's the second one. To see his beauty, you have to know he's always working even when you don't think he is. We even say he works all things together for the good. Well, that may mean it could take him 50 years. Are you good with that? If I told you right now the prayer you're praying is going to be answered 50 years from now, would you still come every Sunday? I'm just praying God to give me a good man, a good job. Okay, that's going to require four years of college, six years of med school. You're going to have to be fired 14 times. So are you good with all of that journey while you wait on the goodness to show up 30 years from now? How many of you have the faith, me included, that would stay in the game 30 years without being bitter and yet not one idea that he's even working, but he is working because 30 years down the road, God's like, I'm going to blow that boy's mind. But 30 years later, I can't be found. I'm off running my life, doing my thing because I got tired. If you want to see his beauty, you better wake up every day in the middle of darkness and go, I don't feel like he's working, but God's working. God is working for me. Well, when do you think it's going to happen? I don't know, but I know I'm going to wake up every day. I'm going to look up to heaven and say, God, you can use anything. You can use me. And it might be 30 years from now, but by the time it's over, you're going to look back at this old boy. I'm going to be blessed coming in, blessed going out. I'm the head, not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I may not be there now in my parenthesis, but I know he's working for me. The final one is this. So God, this is going to sting, but I'm going to leave you with a stinger. The Lord asked the woman, that's Eve, what have you done? She ate the fruit. The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. And then, only like God can do, he ends the conversation and immediately talks to somebody else. And have you ever felt like God's talking to everybody else but you? So he says to the serpent, and he starts talking to the devil, speaking to the serpent, and at the bottom in the pink, God says something prophetically. He, the seed of Eve, will strike your head, and you, serpent, will strike his heel. I'm good with that. It's a great promise. And yet the eternal God is talking about 4,000 years later. Why do you do that to me? Why do you dangle a carrot making me think it's going to happen in my time frame? My yellow parenthesis, every time Eve birthed a baby, this is the one. And God's like, <laughs> you want to tell her because I'm not going to tell her. <laughs> We're talking about 4,000 years later. <laughs> she thought it was Cain. And then she thought it was Abel. <laughs> She's so crazy. And Cain killed Abel, and then I made Cain leave. Oh, God. I'm so crazy. I am as a God. Let's give her Seth. <laughs> She'll think it's Seth. <laughs> oh, man, I'm so good. I love it. Here's little Seth. <laughs> well, God, why do you do that? Do what? You're not even, it doesn't even obtain, it's just 4,000 years later. And God's like, oh, you think I define me in her box? No, I want her box to see me. 4,000 years later, here's what happens. 
Gabriel finds a woman and says, Hey, you highly favored lady. Could you believe the scope of God's work when he spoke to Eve? He's eternal and he could see the womb of Mary. She doesn't even exist in a box yet. But the eternal God speaks to Eve and says, Your seed will crush his head. I'm talking about 4,000 years from now, but because I'm eternal, you just need to know one thing. I'm faithful. Here's the final one. The problem with Christianity, my opinion today, is that we've lost sight of His faithfulness because I define it in my parenthesis. But what if your faithfulness has nothing to do with your parenthesis but somebody in the future? Most Christians today do not live thinking about the legacy to come. Eve is thinking about Cain, Abel, and Seth. God is thinking about Mary. I present to you today, did anybody in the room, me included, show up today thinking the reason I came is for my grandchildren? My great-grandchildren. Because I'm going to stay faithful. Because if I give up, I affect every generation coming. Daddy, every time you sleep in, every time you become lazy and passive, every time you slide the Bible away because your parentheses have you busy, every time you slide God away because you've got a hard life to live and you keep pushing God in your parentheses all around, it might not even be about you. Your children are watching. The grandchildren to come will reap of the seeds you planted because in the womb of Eve were the seeds of every generation that would come. And many Christians today are not thinking, my serving God today is for my grandchildren. My serving God is for my great-grandchildren. So they'll look back and go, granddaddy planted seeds and I'm reaping the seeds of my father's father's father. Stop being narcissistic. It's not all about right now and me. There's a generation coming and God needs you faithful. He needs your prayers. He needs your consistency. He needs your your servanthood. Because outside of your parenthesis is Johnny Love. Outside of my parenthesis are her children. They will bury me one day and I will be nothing but a tombstone but my children's children's children will still be serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because some great grandfather back there did the work that needed to be done. And I quit trying to find a way out. I quit trying to find excuses. If I needed to bury something, I buried it. If I needed to cry, I cried. If I needed to whine, I whined. But at the end of it all, I looked up and said, you're good, you're working, and I'm not throwing in the towel. I am going to endure to the end and I'm going to leave a legacy behind that it pays to serve the Lord. And when they bury me, bury me with a smile because I'm going to serve him in the middle of my parenthesis and find his beauty. Now everybody in the room can do that. Here's the final. Your eternal word, O Lord, stands firm just so you know I wasn't making it up. His faithfulness extends to every generation. I leave you with this conclusion today. God does make all things beautiful in His time. Just got to give it time. 
how do I do that? Believe that God is hovering even in the darkness. There's good there. Live like you know God is working. Stop laying in bed going, where is he? Dust yourself off and go, I don't know, but I know he's there. I'm going to get busy. And then stay faithful. Everybody gets hurt. Everybody gets a scar on planet earth. Everybody's had their feelings hurt. Everybody has good and bad stories to tell. We all have regrets and wish we could have, should have. That's all of us. Stay faithful because your faithfulness just might be for somebody else. Stand up with me. Let me pray for you. I hope that helped you a little bit.